Finding love is hard enough. Add a pandemic into the mix, and it's nearly impossible. Good evening. I'm Angelina Campanile. And I'm Maria Jimena Aragon. You're listening to WNUR News, FMHD1, Evanston, Chicago. This special broadcast was recorded on Thursday, February 18th. For this quarter's special broadcast, we deep dive into the most loved and hated day of the year, Valentine's Day. Although the day is synonymous with flowers and chocolates, what happens when a bootlegged alcohol transaction goes terribly wrong? Thomas Smith starts off the broadcast with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. In the deadliest known mafia-related homicide to date, seven are found dead with gunshot wounds in a parking garage on Chicago's north side on the morning of Valentine's Day. It happened in 1929. Five of the seven victims are known to have ties to the notorious Irish-American gangster George Moran, also known as Bugs Moran who has been locked in a years-long feud with Al Capone. Members of the Italian-American criminal organization headed by Capone are heavily suspected in the shooting. Bugs Moran was reportedly set to receive a shipment of alcohol, which is illegal in the year 1929, the parking garage where he is known to have conducted business, when four men dressed as police officers entered the building. These men were not police officers, however, but rather likely suspects in the killing of seven of Moran's henchmen. It all went down at 2122 North Clark Street in the Lincoln Park neighborhood. Moran is believed to be the intended target, but Bugs must have sensed something was amiss and bailed on the operation. Moran and Capone are implicated in a string of failed assassination attempts against one another, and Valentine's Day's Blood Red Massacre is believed to be the culmination of this bitter quarrel. Police found no signs of a gunfight, concluded the victims were shot in cold blood using shotguns and roughly 70 rounds from Thompson machine guns, also known as Tommy guns. Infamous contract killers and brothers, Frank and Peter Gusenberg are among the victims. Frank Gusenberg is the only man to survive the massacre, but dies hours later with 14 gunshot wounds. Gusenberg tells investigators, quote, no one shot me, in adherence to a code among criminals. The crime remains unsolved to this day, although Moran comments, quote, only Capone kills like that. Alphonse Capone was reportedly at his home in Florida at the time of the incident, yet his notoriety grows as pictures of the mangled bodies are widely disseminated. Bugs Moran fades into obscurity after the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of 1929, likely unable to maintain the same level of control after losing seven allies in the shooting. From Evanston, Illinois, this is Thomas Goodwin, WNUR News. For our first roundtable today, WNUR members share how they celebrated Valentine's Day during the coronavirus pandemic. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about Valentine's Day today, and we'll just go ahead and start with introducing everyone. So I'm Margo Malinowski. I'm a third year. I'm studying journalism, and I'm in a relationship. Um, it's been going on for like two years. My name is Maria. I am a sophomore in Medill, and I am single. Hi, I'm Helen Bradshaw. I'm also a sophomore in Medill, and I'm in a relationship. Hi, I'm Melissa. I'm a junior in Medill, and I'm single. Okay, awesome. So we have a good spread of single and relationship people. So what did you guys do for Valentine's Day? Like, did you get to celebrate anyways with your families or friends or significant others? Um, I know it's a bit different because it's in COVID. 
Um, I didn't do anything really for Valentine's Day, but my friends and I have like a Valentine's Day tradition. So we celebrate like the day before Valentine's Day. And so we got dressed up and then we got like chocolate covered strawberries and like ordered a nice dinner. And we do like this compliment circle where we give everyone um, like in the circle a compliment. And it's not like a surface level compliment. They're like very deep. And so we did that and that compliment circle, I think lasted like two hours. So that is so wholesome. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time, but Valentine's Day itself is like pretty, I don't know, a regular day. Yeah. So I kind of going off what Melissa said, my friend Doris and my friend Jackie, they came to my dorm and we literally ate candy bread and we watched to all the boys I've loved before. We stayed up really late talking. Yeah. The new one. We had a lot of opinions on that movie. <laughs> I also have a lot of opinions on that movie. And we stayed up pretty late and just talked about it. And then we watched another movie and we just kind of just enjoyed each other's company. Mine was actually very similar. I mean, I did like on the day before Valentine's Day, I like ordered food with my boyfriend. But um, the day before that was like when we really celebrated and it was my friends from my previous school. And we all watched to all the boys I've ever loved before as well. And then we watched part of Fifty Shades of Grey, um, which I have a lot of feelings on as well, but um, it was a good time. And I just like got to talk to a lot of people that I love. So my roommate's birthday is on Valentine's Day. So we've been friends since freshman year and every year Valentine's Day is not Valentine's Day. Like it is her birthday <laughs> and it was her 21st birthday. So naturally on the 13th going into the 14th, we, um, we all dressed up and had a grand old time in the living room, which was super fun. Um, but then the day before that, my boyfriend and I tried to make the like tackiest, most Valentine's Day cake that we could. And it actually ended up turning out like kind of beautiful. I thought it was gonna be like really disgusting and tacky because that was the goal, but it ended up being super pretty. We topped it with like chocolate covered strawberries and it was super cute, so. Um, I know for me, Valentine's Day has definitely become like less important than it used to in middle school. Like, I don't know what you guys remember about Valentine's Day for middle school, but I remember passing out Valentine's to the entire class and like how obsessed I would be with buying the little like Valentine's at the grocery store and stuff for everyone. Does anyone else have any middle school Valentine's Day memories? Yeah, I still do that. Like, I don't know, I loved Valentine's Day in elementary school. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll do my little twist on it now that I'm in college. I'll write like a, like a roast, but it has to like, be pertinent to you right so like if I know that you don't like this particular show I'll like write about it and then I'll give candy to you so that's what I do with my friends yeah I remember in middle school we would send like crushes to one another like the soda and it was always a really big deal like if you got a crush from someone because you could send it like anonymously so if you got like an anonymous crush that meant like someone had a crush on you and so that was like a fun thing Okay, that actually reminds me in high school, we used to do that with like ring pops. And that was always a huge deal. You had to pay like 50 cents to send people ring pops and we would all like send them to our friends and whoever. Ours was like really big in elementary school. We just like everybody decorated their little shoe box like Valentine's themed and it was so cute. And then you would like go around and put your Valentine for each person in the little slot on the top of the box. And it was like a really big deal if somebody bought fun dip, everyone went crazy or like uh, the Jolly Rancher pink lemonade lollipops were a big thing, but in high school, what we did, which was really fun, was um, 
there was some survey program where it's like you filled out, it's kind of like the marriage pack actually, but um, you'd fill out like 20 questions that were kind of unrelated. It was like, how tall are you? How loud do you listen to your music? Stuff like that. And then on Valentine's day, they would give us a printed results sheet and match us with like our top 10 matches in the whole school, which was so fun, but it was weird because some teachers did it and you would like get them as your matches. I had a teacher as my third match one year. It was also so heteronormative because it was like your top 10 matches were members of the opposite sex. And then your like three best friend matches were like same sex people. And so that was very fun, but it was entertaining. I'll give them that. Wait, and this was in middle school? No, no, no. This was in high school. Oh, okay. That's still weird, but slightly yeah. less weird that you could get that. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. Like, this is a, a fun little side note. Does anyone actually know, like, how Valentine's Day got started? Like, like I know that it's related to St. Valentine's Day or St. Valentine's. Does anyone know this story? I feel like I've, I might be totally off the mark here, but I feel like it's something where, like, somebody was in jail and St. Valentine like gave them love letters while they were in jail. And I don't, or like inmates wrote love letters to people outside of jail. I'm not entirely sure though. See, you would think that I, I was raised in a Catholic school that I would know this. I simply do not. Do we have any other guesses for this? I'm actually gonna look it up while we're talking. I don't know about like the origin, but I've heard a lot about like how it's become like popularized by like Hallmark and like card companies as like a way to make money, which makes sense because it's like a very like consumerist holiday with like the chocolate and the flowers, but I have no idea in terms of like the origin. Yeah, me neither. I knew it had some religious kind of route to where it came from, but I have absolutely no clue. So I think that the, the jail theory is the closest one I have so far. Honestly, it's kind of difficult to find the like information on this. What I'm gathering is that he was a, a member of the clergy who worked with like persecuted Christians. So I don't know if he was delivering love letters to people who were in jail or if he himself was in jail. I couldn't tell you. All right. Well, this was a fun little Valentine's Day discussion. So everyone, thanks for joining in on this roundtable. Hey, Angelina, what did you do for Valentine's Day? Funny you ask, because you're about to find out. Unfortunately, I do not have a significant other to force them to sit down and watch Harry Potter movies with. So this Valentine's Day, I focused on me. Have a listen. The first word that comes to mind when I think of Valentine's Day is love. It's a time for lovers to express their affection with greetings and gifts. A time to celebrate love between two people. But this Valentine's Day, I decided to celebrate a different kind of love. Self-love. Again, it's 574 nonstop service in New York to LaGuardia Airport. Good morning, LaGuardia. On February 14th, I escaped the 18 inches of snow in Evanston. Delta shuttle would like to be the first to welcome you to New York's LaGuardia International Airport. The local time is 1047. Please note the one hour And time flew time. home to my family in New York. I had a plan. Step one, surprise my family. Well, you're quite the uh, interesting Valentine's Day uh, thing. And step two. Tell them that 
I am bisexual. I couldn't think of someone better to talk to about self-love than my lifelong friend, Mary-Kate Melnick, or MK. What does self-love mean to you? I think to me, it's always just been um, doing the things you want to do, regardless of what other people think. Um, I think self-love is so much about honoring the way that you feel inside and expressing that on the outside. Melnick is a junior majoring in entertainment creation and performance at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Right now, she's studying from home because of the pandemic. So I think self-love is equal parts self-confidence and also self-acceptance and forgiveness. Part of being confident is acknowledging that you may not always have a good body image day or you may not always be kind to yourself or you may not always have the best relationship with yourself, but deciding that and understanding that you deserve respect and love even on those days, I think is the epitome of self-love. Melnick says her understanding of self-love comes after years of being bullied in elementary school. After escaping the wrath of fifth grade boys, Melnick says she slowly began to develop her self-confidence in high school and even more in college. I think it was a very slow process of finding myself and experimenting. And I think the more that I gave myself permission to experiment and just the more that I liked what I looked like, the less I cared what other people thought about. Melnick says a big part of loving yourself is accepting your sexuality. She came out as bisexual to her friend in 2015. It wasn't until last June that she decided to tell her parents. What advice do you have for people struggling with deciding whether or not to either accept their sexuality or maybe come out to friends, family, or whoever they want to? Accepting it for yourself is a really strong first step. I, I almost feel that sometimes we have to come out to ourselves first before we can come out to other people. And I think the more that you can get so comfortable with it with yourself, uh, that by the time you come out to other people, it might be kind of like old news to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can certainly help. One of the newest members of the LGBTQ community is 17-year-old pop star Jojo Siwa. Siwa is best known for her appearance on the TV show Dance Moms. She has over 12 million YouTube subscribers and is an icon to Gen Z, especially over social media. Jojo came out as bisexual on TikTok last week by singing along to Lady Gaga's Born This Way. Jojo's Born This Way video has more than 50 million views on TikTok. Her decision to share her sexuality with the world has impacted millions of kids and teenagers, like my 12-year-old cousin, Juliana Gilmartin. I thought it was really exciting because 
I think it's important for like little boys and girls to like know that like if they're like going through that time where like they're not sure like if they want to like boys or if they want to like girls and so it's important that they know that if Jojo is um like that then they could be like that too and also if they don't feel like that then they know like not to judge people or like miss like disrespect people that aren't feeling that way. For middle schoolers like Gil Martin, it's important to realize the necessity in not only giving love to your friends, family, or significant other, but rather the importance of loving yourself for who you are. For WNUR News, I'm Angelina Campanino. Another type of love is seen among our friends and family. And on February 14th, 2018, Valentine's Day took on a whole new meaning for Parkland, Florida. Olivia Lloyd reports. Valentine's Day often conjures images of chocolates, heart-shaped everything, and annoying displays of affection on social media. For WNUR's special broadcast about love and Valentine's Day, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my association with February 14th. Three years ago on Valentine's Day, a gunman arrived at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. He killed 17 and wounded 17 others. No police officers who arrived on the scene or who were already present stopped him. I've lived in the Parkland area since I was four years old. My younger brother was a freshman at MSD at the time of the shooting and he texted me while the situation was unfolding. Luckily, he survived. But because of the tragedy, Valentine's Day has become a day of mourning rather than celebration. So we're a gun legislation advocacy group on campus, so a lot of- Recently, I had a conversation about Valentine's Day with Team Enough and News President, Caitlin Cease. Cease and I went to high school together, though not at MSD. Team Enough is a national youth-led organization that seeks to educate and encourage young people to act against gun violence. The organization has a chapter at Northwestern led by the Weinberg second year Cease. I grew up in South Florida, very close to Parkland. So when the MSD shooting happened on Valentine's Day a few years ago, um, that really, really impacted me and my, my community. Even though it didn't happen at my school, just seeing how it affected so many other people and people I knew, it really mobilized me and resonated with me when I've been involved ever since. I don't pretend to speak for everyone from my community who's grieving about the tragedy, but since that day, we have never been the same. A lot has changed, including the significance of Valentine's Day. Cease shares a similar opinion. Personally, Valentine's Day has, you know, never been the same. I always kind of think about MSD and Parkland and the progress that we've made or lack thereof um, in the gun control kind of arena on Valentine's Day. So that's kind of how it's affected me. Um, in terms of team enough, that, you know, that kind of informs everything that we do. Um, everyone in our organization was very much influenced by what happened on Valentine's Day a few years ago. So that's always kind of in the back of our minds when we're making decisions about what we want to do. I asked Cease a question that's been on my mind for the last three years. Is it possible, or will it ever be possible, to celebrate Valentine's Day as a day of love, 
even while remembering the pain that February 14th, 2018 resurrects for those connected to the tragedy. So I think on the one hand, you can certainly remember what happened and mourn and, you know, think about how we're going to address this in the future to make sure it never happens again. But also, I think, celebrate the holiday, spend time with your loved ones as an act of defiance, like, you know, we're still here and we're still fighting. I've reflected a lot about whether or not I want to celebrate Valentine's Day. Maybe it would be defiant to uplift love in the face of violence and grief. Maybe one day I will. But right now, celebrating doesn't sit right. I can't celebrate while I feel the gravity of what we have lost. For WNUR News, I'm Olivia Lloyd. The music you heard in this package is called Running Waters by Jason Shaw, licensed under Creative Commons. No changes were made to this music. Quarantine and social distancing don't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. Reporter Alex Harrison takes a deep dive into the many booms of COVID. Ah, the baby boom. From around 1945 to 1964, a wave of returning veterans and a strong post-war economy led to a huge spike in births across the United States giving us the boomers that we know and love, or hate, today. But despite COVID-19 originally being called the boomer remover, could this pandemic be causing some booms of its own? Spending a full year cooped up in quarantine, or limited to only a bubble of trusted friends, can have some weird effects on people. I decided to explore these possible COVID booms, as well as some that might be coming up in the near future. Let's start with the classic baby boom. Quarantine in most states started around early to late March, just as the weather started to warm up. According to the CDC, this is around the end of when most babies are conceived, which makes sense in a cabin fever sort of way. But when all that spring energy is trapped inside, does it really translate to getting it on and more unplanned pregnancies down the line? Well, according to a study by the Brookings Institute in December 2020, the answer is a pretty safe no. In fact, Brookings predicts that there will be a baby bust in 2021, rather than a boom. The reason, they say, is that fertility rates are controlled a lot more by the economy than by pure closeness of human beings. A tanked economy and huge job losses in 2020 led many couples to delay plans for starting families. Another study in the Journal of Leisure Sciences showed that recreational sex decreased at the start of COVID, mostly due to the mandate of social distancing outside of the household. So despite the economy recovering a bit faster than expected, there's likely going to be several hundred thousand fewer births than expected over the next few months. But the Leisure Sciences study found another interesting trend. While sexual activity is down, sexual experimentation is way up. Younger people especially have been trying out new things like sending nudes, watching pornography, and having cybersex. And all of this leads to the real boom of the pandemic, the sex toy boom. A Vice article published in April 2020 reported that both WOW Tech Group and COTR, which are together behind five major brands of sex toys in the US, exceeded their sales projections by upwards of 40% in spring 2020. Since the pandemic started, many people have taken the advice that the safest sex partner is yourself and ran with it. But not all has been peachy in the cross of coronavirus and couples. 
Breakups and divorce have spiked worldwide since the start of lockdowns, according to a BBC report published in December 2020. An American contract creation website saw a 34% rise in sales of its basic divorce agreement from March to July, while the British law firm Stewart's saw a 122% spike in divorce inquiries from July to October. Stewart's partner Carly Kinch says that the reasons for the divorces are the same as ever, and that the pandemic, quote, has just brought the focus on domestic arrangements really into much more sharp focus than they would ordinarily be. This may not be entirely accurate, though, as an op-ed in the Washington Post points to divorce data from several states showing a decrease in filings, as well as to studies that suggest adversity brings more strength to relationships, not less. In any case, if you and yours have been struggling more since you've started spending more time together during the pandemic, you're certainly not alone. But with colleges bringing students back to campus and vaccinations sparking hopes of a full reopening come summer or fall, could we be staring down the barrel of a post-COVID hookup and party boom? Northwestern's Phi Alpha Psi fraternity has already been fined and punished for holding parties during COVID, so it's not unreasonable to expect that once the world reopens, people will go absolutely bananas getting out some pent-up frustration. But according to Yale social epidemiologist Nicholas Christakis, that period of debauchery is likely going to come a bit later than most expect or wish. He argues that based on other pandemics throughout history, including the Spanish flu of 100 years ago, a period of several years will be needed to recover both public health and the economy before the party can really begin. But when it does, Christakis argues that, quote, people will relentlessly seek out social interactions and that we can expect a boom of lavish spending, rejection of religion, and yes, sexual licentiousness. His words, not mine. No matter when this pandemic does finally end, one thing is for certain. Sex, dating, and marriage have been permanently changed. Encouraging you to use protection, this is Alex Harrison, WNUR News. With half the student population barred from campus fall quarter, Northwestern students found a creative way to stay connected. For our next roundtable, WNUR members share their experiences with the infamous NU Marriage Pact. Hello everyone. Today we're talking about a new marriage pact. So for those who don't know, a new marriage pact was this big Instagram page in the fall. I think it was late November. And it essentially was this like, I think a hundred question quiz about like preferences, interests, personality, um, just for Northwestern students. And then a few days later, like after you filled it out on a certain day, um, everyone got their match, which was another Northwestern student. And it was like based on your compatibility, based on your answers. And essentially this like blew up, I think for like two days, that was like all I saw on my Twitter feed. Um, and it was really funny because it was like this big, like everyone was so hyped to get their matches, but I felt like once everyone got their matches, there was a lot of disappointment, <laughs> which was interesting. Um, so first, I thought we could maybe just go around, um, introduce ourselves, and then say if we did the marriage pact or not. I'm Melissa. I'm a junior at Medill. I did do the marriage pact. Hello, my name is Alex. I'm a sophomore at Medill, and yes, I did do the marriage pact. I'm Helen. I'm also a sophomore at Medill, and I also did the marriage pact. My name is Camille. I'm a junior in Medill, and I did not do the marriage pact. All right. So... I guess for each of us, like, what made you want to do the marriage pact? And then Camille, I guess, what were your thoughts on the marriage pact? 
when you heard heard about it and like why did you decide not to do it do you like to take the lead melissa i can't um i don't know i thought it was like a fun thing like i really like meeting new people and obviously with like quarantine and everything and being doing virtual classes that's like not possible um, so I thought it was just like a fun thing to do, but I definitely was not taking it seriously. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to like meet my boyfriend or anything like that. So yeah, I thought it was just a fun thing to do. Yeah. Like it popped up at a time when I think everyone was really settling into the fact that like, oh God, yeah, we really are back in class. Um, and everyone was also, at least all the reasonable people on campus were realizing like, oh, they're not going to kick us off, but we also can't like have parties or be sociable um in like the normal college way and yeah i just desperate for socialization i think just the whole campus was like just needing something um and definitely with it coming in late november it's also coming up on cuffing season uh and so the idea of oh this is my perfect algorithmic match just lights up the dopamine this late into COVID. So I was actually in a relationship at the time that I did the marriage pact, which might sound questionable, but you know, I figured I wasn't taking it seriously. Probably a lot of other people weren't taking it seriously. And so I was like, eh, this will be fun. Why not? You know, meet someone new. And did you talk to the person you were dating about it? <laughs> I mentioned it and she was like, I mean, yeah, go for it, I guess. My experience was actually pretty similar to that because I was also in a relationship, except we both did it just because we were like curious, like what, what is it going to ask? What's going to happen? Like, is there any chance that we could get matched together? That would be crazy. But really, like I'm a transfer student and I was living at home. And so like, not only did I not know many people on campus, but I didn't even have like that freshman connection, you know, where I like get to meet people that way. So I was like, okay, worst comes to worst. Like I never talked to the person, but I could make a new friend out of it. And that would be really cool. Or I could just like kind of see how this system works. Really, I was just curious to be honest. Well, when I saw it blowing up on my Twitter, I was like, what is this marriage pact? Two words that spell out commitment, which I don't do. And then second, I was just, algorithm compatibility how is this even possible what population are they drawing from i was just skeptical of the pride of the entire process it involved questions it involved some level of statistics none of these things i was actually into so i when i was seeing it on my feed i honestly didn't know what was happening i'm like people are matching with each other how like what happened to tinder and other dating apps do people are people still on those like i was like what what what's happening it never occurred to me i should try it whenever i see a survey well i do like to fill out surveys but dating surveys marriage relationship confrontation with the opposite or same sex who knows straight and questioning um yeah i didn't know um but even if i could do it like again like now or for the first time i don't know if i would because i'd be like eh, what if it what if the other person is excited to meet me and i have no choice but to send them two excited text messages and then ghost them because because i that's what i do in my life back to you melissa yeah camille so many great points i love how critical you are 
And I guess for those of us who did do it, um, how did the match process turn out? For me, I like matched with someone I like kind of like vaguely knew, you know, when there's like people you see around campus a lot and you like kind of have mutual friends, but you like never have a conversation. So that was like someone I matched with and like I never reached out and he never reached out. So it just fizzled. Do you wish you, do you wish that you reached out? Not really. <laughs> I feel like yours is like the universal experience. Like I, I, like some people had to have reached out, like, but come on, <laughs> these are Northwestern students we're talking about. Do we really think that like most of us actually went through with this? So did you not reach out, Alex? Oh no, I did, but oh. I got a name that was like kind of familiar um, you know, same year. Uh, I don't remember if the MASH email said their school, um, but like, you know, if it's a familiar name, it's probably Medill. So I, t I texted my friend uh, who like knows a bunch of people. And I was like, do you, do you know this person? Like, cause I just got matched with them on the In You Marriage Pact. And they were like, oh my God, I work at the daily with them. Like, you guys would you guys would be like best buds and i'm like oh cool but <laughs> then she said yeah but like she kind of did it as a joke and like also she's more into girls so like there's the two layers of i'm already taken and my match likes girls more anyway so but the funniest part about all that is that we got a 100% match it turns out that you were actually the same person <laughs> I don't even, is, that's, that's wild. That is wild. Mine is weird, I guess. So like I said, the person I was dating and I both did it. And I think, and this might need to be fact-checked, but I believe they sent it on an email and said like, oh, the largest population of people who have responded are like straight women. We need more people who will be with straight women to like respond. And I... I'm not straight. So I was like, okay, I'll probably like not be put with a guy. And the person I'm dating who is a guy took it. And then we both got each other and we didn't take it together. And we like, didn't answer questions together. And we got like a 99.9% .9 match. And I don't know how, I don't know. I was just suspicious because I was like the odds of me getting him when we like, didn't get, we didn't correspond our answers. And like the chances of me being put with a non-straight guy are so much higher. I feel like, like, how did that happen? Are you still together? Yes. We are still ah, see, they were right. They were right. <laughs> see, Camille, Camille may be optimistic, but I, I have to cast a little bit of doubt onto this algorithm. But my question to really understand this algorithm is, was this person a computer science major, a psych major, or are they a Medill major? Oh, I will say that I did do some searching on North by Northwestern and the person is, uh, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, they, they borrowed the algorithm, the exact same algorithm and most of the same questions from other schools. So according to Anna Tsui, who was a McCormick and communication second year 
when this was happening, said that, quote, the algorithm algorithm for the most part remained untouched since it's an algorithm that's been proven over and over again, end quote. So I think you're all being pessimistic and you don't believe in love, but also who am I to talk? Well, thank you guys for this fun conversation. Camille, I'm excited for you to eventually do this and find the love of your life and happy belated Valentine's Day. The more time we spend in isolation, the more we rely on social media for entertainment. Reporter Maria Camaño sits down with the anonymous owner of NU Down Bad, a Twitter account where Northwestern students can share their experiences with people who are down bad. As the world came to a halt during COVID, people have had to find ways to keep themselves entertained during lockdown and isolation periods. One of the many ways people were able to feel better was through social media, like TikTok, meme pages, and funny Twitter accounts. As downbat Twitter accounts began to rise in popularity, a Northwestern student began to wonder if there should be one dedicated just to their school. To everyone's surprise and entertainment, in December of 2020, Northwestern got a downbat page of their own on Twitter. An anonymous user known as at NUDownbad shares the cringy yet hilarious texts Northwestern students receive from people who are downbad, which is defined by the Urban Dictionary as, quote, when someone is depressingly horny. Despite the account being dependent on people's submissions, their Twitter account has since reached about 446 followers and earned its spot in the NU Anonymous Accounts Hall of Fame. For this Valentine's Day, I sat down with them to learn more about how the account even got started in the first place. I'd seen a couple of people, like, like there was this original Twitter account and it blew up uh, and it wasn't like specific to any one college. It was, it was just dudes who are down bad or something like that. And I saw that and then I saw a couple of other people say that there should be a Northwestern down bad because like NU men are like a particular breed of down bad and desperate. And I said, okay, well, why not? Like NU March Madness, which became NU Confessions, like it went away a while ago and there's been like this void and like anonymous posting for Northwestern students. And so I figured, why not? I'd take up the mantle, uh, give it a shot at least, and uh, it grew really quickly. Getting about three to four weekly submissions, NU Down Bad says that they aim to just make people laugh with their posts. They look forward to getting many more submissions in the future once COVID is over. I mean, there's definitely, like, guys who are still trying to swoop in during COVID, but, like, if or when, like, the world reopens again and, like, dating and casual hookups and stuff, once that comes back fully, like, I'm hoping there's just an avalanche of content because, like, people have been locked up for so long that everyone is down bad. And, look, honestly, if we can laugh at everyone, that's even better than laughing at just a couple of people. Like, I say it in the bio, like, no harm intended unless you're a creep. I really don't mean any harm by posting these things, and I don't think that the people who send me these mean any harm either. So yeah, like, the more the merrier. Like, if you've got, like, screenshots from ages ago, go dig them up. I want to see them, and I want to share them with the world. They also intend to keep their identity private. Only one of my friends knows that it's me. I've kept it a very deliberately safe secret because, like, with these, like, anonymous submissions accounts, like, if one person knows, like, everyone's gonna know immediately. When asked to rate how down bad Northwestern men are on a scale of 1 to 100, they had this to say. I have to say, like, Northwestern men are just, like, worse than the average, I guess. 
like okay on average with northwestern i'd probably rate them around 70 at least like like but that's like like average across all the schools like the econ guys are like the most down bad for sure like they're like in the 90s at least but some of the other schools like honestly like i see medill kids and i just have to think like I don't think they're down bad. I just think that they're like too stressful to even date. Like what would a Medill date look like? Is that just like editing a piece for the daily together? I also asked them to tell me about the most down bad submission they ever received in their opinion. The thing is like, I, I post everything that people send me. Like even if I don't think it's down bad or if it's more creepy than down bad, like it's, I'm not the moderator. I just post what people send me. The most down bad was actually submitted by the person who wrote it like a self-submission like it's just the back and forth between this person and someone else and it starts out this person says let me use your shower the person responds it's dirty and the submitter says i'll scrub it clean with my tongue they submitted that themselves the person who wrote that submitted it themselves with the caption i'm in pain (laughs) like i respect the ability to like self-assess but like, dude, I hope it's an inside joke that I just don't get. And asks the most pressing question of them all. Who would win in a fight between NU Dumbad, NU Virginity Club, and NU Confessions? I think I could take on NU Virginity Club, for sure. But, like, you know, you can't, you can't mess with the OG. I feel like NU March Madness wins that, like, handily. For now, all NU Dumbad wants is for people to send in their submissions so we can all have a good laugh during these tough times. In the end, they had this to say to Northwestern students. Just everyone at Northwestern, like, and you men, and you women, uh, everyone else, like, just, if you if you read a post on any down bad, and you see a little bit of yourself in there, like, that's the real lesson that we take away at the end of the day, right? We're all learning. We're all learning. So don't, don't, don't hate the player. State the game. For WNUR News, this is Maria Camano. For those of you who are just joining, this is WNUR News on WNUR 89.3 FMHD1, Evanston, Chicago. Next up, WNUR News gets advice from an aspiring sex therapist. Jenna Peel reports. You have a local, I can't believe I'm saying this, you have a local dungeon, um, they might be offering online classes for that, and you would probably just have to look up, y'all are in Chicago, right? It's probably like 12, so just look up. Dungeon, Chicago, rope class, and see what comes up. That's Talia Watrous, a CU Denver graduate student studying couples and family therapy with the hope of eventually becoming a sex therapist. She's worked as a sex educator and even found a sex positivity movement on her campus. I sat down with Watrous in the week of Valentine's Day to better understand sex therapy and who might benefit from it. Sex therapy is commonly mistaken as sex surrogacy or sex work, and it is not. It's actually just talk therapy that talks about sexuality and incorporates that as part of the conversation. We might help couples with, like, desire discrepancy where one person has kind of a higher libido and the other person has a lower libido, and how do we make that work? Or, you know, we might be working with people, like, when one person in the couple has a specific kink and the other person doesn't, like, how do we work through something like that? While sex therapy can be beneficial for all genders, Watchers is interested in helping women who statistically struggle to find satisfactory sex more than men. 
In fact, the most impactful piece of information Watchers has learned in her years as a sex educator is that women overwhelmingly experience more pain and less satisfaction during sex than men. I learned that one in three women, the study said women, but it's really people with vulvas, experience pain or discomfort with sex. I I have endometriosis, and that's kind of a side effect, that penetrative sex can be extremely painful. And I thought I was the only person, really, that had that issue. And it turns out it's super common enough to be 30% of my fellow folks with vulvas. So I would say, if that is you, there is ways to make that better, and you should talk to your doctor, you should get to a sex therapist, and you should read, because nobody deserves to have pleasurable experiences be painful. Watchers is hoping that by spreading awareness and becoming a sex therapist, she can help more women find the sexual satisfaction they've been missing. But to be a feminist sex therapist, which means um, I'd be targeting kind of the, the micro-oppression that happens in relationships and kind of working to break down the patriarchy kind of one, one client at a time. So for me, it's kind of that personal overall mission of making the world a more equitable place, um, starting with people's relationships. At this point, you may be wondering, how do I know if sex therapy is for me? And what if I can't afford it? While nothing can completely replace a sex therapist, there are some self-reflection tools you can take on before going to see one. This might include journaling, reading pleasure activism, or even experimenting with new desires. I think it's starting to pinpointing what exactly it is you want, right? And, and trying to figure out, do you have a partner that is going to support you in, in getting to that place, right? And so it could start with you journaling, like getting to that emotional place, and then it could start with reading things like Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are, Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marine Brown is another really good one, and starting to think about, like, what, what am I missing out of this encounter? What, is, what am I yearning for? But really, I think it's starting to learn your body and learning the wisdom of your body and speaking up for it and standing up for yourself. COVID-19 has trapped many of us at home, either single without many sexual outlets or in a relationship feeling bored with your sexual activities. This has left many people wanting to experiment with new desires and fantasies. However, if you're considering experimentation, especially if it involves a more dangerous situation, conversations about consent with your partner need to happen beforehand and should be at least twice as detailed. Also, in order to avoid harming yourself or your partner, it's important to make sure you educate yourself as well. There's a lot of rules that are in the BDSM community um, to ensure people's safety. And so I, I don't, like, experimenting it with it is great, but, but I recommend learning and educating yourself as much as possible beforehand. Like we talked about either going to events, signing up for classes, reading a bunch of stuff online, anything you can do to give yourself and your partner the safety you both deserve. And it's also okay if you're not super weird. Being vanilla is fine too. I think we have this kind of dichotomy and between oh, like, you should be really kinky and sexually exciting, um, and that versus, like, oh, no, you should be normal. Both both are kind of putting you in a box, right? And I don't want people pushing themselves past the point that they're comfortable with. After speaking with Watchers, it's clear that sex therapy is simply a way for people to express their desires, their struggles, and their fears about sex. 
It's a place where everyone can feel welcome. It's a practice that should be destigmatized to improve the sexual health of everyone. No matter your gender, your race, sexual orientation, or relationship. But I think there's always things that you, that you can squeeze even more pleasure out of your life. And going to a sex therapist could totally help with that. I think sex therapy is for everyone. I'm so glad the stigma around therapy and different other types of talk therapy is lessening because it's, it's so helpful for so many people. Thank you for listening. I'm Jenna Peel, and this is WNUR News. As Bumble and Tinder soar on the App Store, people have to rely on pickup lines to spark digital romance. WNUR reporters share some of Cosmopolitan's recently published pickup lines for Valentine's Day. Okay, so Cosmopolitan released an article a few days before Valentine's Day that is called 20 Valentine's Day pickup lines that are way sexier than your average be mine. I've got these 20 pickup lines and I'm going to go through them and figure out your thoughts. But first, we should introduce ourselves. I'm Helen Bradshaw. I am a sophomore studying journalism and art history, and my relationship status is that I am in one. I'm Margo Milanowski. Um, I'm a third year studying journalism, and my relationship status is that I am also in one. My two-year anniversary was actually last Sunday. Um, I'm Nick Song. I'm a second year um, studying journalism at Medill, and I am also in a relationship. I'm Jenna, apparently the token single of the group. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a third year journalism and legal studies, and yeah, I'm very single. (laughs) Okay, so I'm just going to go through this list. This is the section for when you want to spend all your Valentine's Days with them. Number one, I bought you 12 roses for Valentine's Day, 11 real and one fake. I will love you until all of them die and wilt away. I would just like to say that it took me so long to figure out what that meant. I sat there for like three <laughs> minutes trying to figure out what they were getting at, but now I got it. So trying to figure out like the half-life of plastic. Well, I didn't right. understand. I didn't get, I was like, why would you give someone a fake rose? And then why I, are they all going to die? And I was like, oh, yeah. that's oh, okay, I it's not I thought that the plastic one would never die. I thought yeah, it was no, going to die. And I was like, well, that's me pretty quickly. So like, <laughs> <it's all." laughs> I'm pretty sure they stole that from like a children's novel. That is not original. Do you like cats? Because I'd like you to take me out for Valentine's Day. Okay, (laughs) easy money, big fan. (laughs) And out of 10. (laughs) I'm straight up stealing that later. (laughs) (laughs) That's like so cheesy that it's funny. Like that's, that's, yeah. Plus as a cat person, I would fall in love instantly. This Valentine's Day, let's make like fabric softener and snuggle. I like that one a lot. <laughs> okay. Also so cheesy that it's kind of funny. Not as good as the cat one, but I'll give that like a I'll give that like a six out of ten. I feel like maybe they got paid for that. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Like I feel like that's a sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give it uh eight out of ten just because I love puns and that was pretty good. Yeah. If if someone used that on me, I think I'd be downy. <laughs> oh you know what else Valentine's Day is? Our future anniversary date. No. What? <laughs> Who takes someone out on Valentine's Day as like a first date? I feel like that's not like. I will you know. say if that actually ended up happening, that's a very price efficient relationship because you don't have to <laughs> celebrate your anniversary and Valentine's Day. That's true. It reminds me, my friend sent on Tinder 
a girl he matched with a win to meet last week um so then he could fill it out and that was like the punchline of it so I'll give it, I give it more points for that, but it's not very good. I'm sorry. That's the best tactic that I've is... ever heard of sending a went to me. That's so funny. The went to me wins. That's the best pickup line I've heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Okay. This is our final category. It's called <laughs> when you want a little V-Day sexy time. Wow. All right. So these spicy. are the spicy ones. Wow. Spicy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Number one. I was going to get you a box of chocolates, but you already have a sweeter box to unwrap. Oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> okay, that accelerated so fast. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I'm going to give it a two I don't out of 10. Very nice emotions. Oh. <laughs> that was funny, but I would never, ever, ever want to ever have that said to me or say that. Yes, agreed. <laughs> I feel like if it's said as like a full on joke, maybe. I would give it. Um, for the uncomfy factor, one out of ten. I'm gonna give it a four out of seven just because, like, that's funny. <laughs> Number two, did you ask for a Snickers this Valentine's Day? Because I want you to satisfy me. Ooh, <laughs> that one's okay. I don't hate that one. I'm gonna give that one a five and a half. It's another one of those ones where I think like delivery is really important. Like, if someone said that, where it was like like overly bravado, like very foolish. I think that would be good. I agree. I agree. I think we can go with seven out of 10. The only thing I, I'm, the only holdup I have is like the satisfy me thing. It's very selfish, okay. like very self-centered. Like I, I feel like, you know, satisfy you first and then me. I'll give it a four out of 10. I kind of like it considering the fact that it is in Cosmo and I feel like they're largest like demographic group is women and so for them to be like you have to satisfy me I'm like okay I'll give it some props for that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't want somebody to say that to me so I'll give it a five okay next one tonight's menu chocolate candy hearts and you I feel like it's like classic you know like a little overdone but I feel like this would work on like army hammer or something like that but like <laughs> also it's not oh, that God. great Nick, how long have you been waiting to make that joke? Oh, bro, I've been holding on to that since <laughs> last year. <laughs> okay, for Valentine's Day, let's put on some Netflix and not watch it. Oh. Overdone. Oh. That gives me really big, like, Netflix and chill, like, pizza tumbler era vibes. Overdone. You know that when people say, like, reject modernity and embrace tradition? It's kind of like Netflix and chill, and that's how yeah. I feel about it. <laughs> This is a return to the old traditions. Yeah, Yeah, I'll give it a five out of ten. This is our last one. I'm sorry to say. You know what's on the Valentine's Day menu? Me in you. Wow. Oh, that's bold. (laughs) Does it say me and you? Like, what is the spelling? Like, it spells menu. Oh, oh, wow. Now it's clicking. That's clever. Oh, God. Oh, okay. So that could mean, like, a lot of things. That could either mean me and you or me and you. Oh, wow. Okay, I like again, this. this is one of those ones where if it was said, like, so ridiculously, like, so sarcastically, I think that would be really funny. I would give that, like, a 5 out of 10. This is legitimately oh. the first one that I would actually consider saying to, like, someone over Tinder or something like Which that. Which version like, of it? Either. Go big or go home. Yeah, you got to read it because for me, I'm not a visual person. Mm-hmm. Um, when I hear it, I'm just like, okay, me and you, that's cool. Well, the good news is in COVID, you can probably text somebody instead of saying it to their face. I'll give it points for versatility because it can go both ways. Which leaves our winner to be 
do you like cats? Because I'd like you to take me out for Valentine's Day. That's so good. Classic, simple. I love cats. I'll try it on my next Tinder match and let you guys know what happens. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Described as a train wreck you can't look away from, reporter Camille Williams sits down with Northwestern students to discuss NBC's The Bachelor, what keeps them coming back, and why the summer spinoff, Bachelor in Paradise, is so much better. Love, for me, is about the heart, and there's not a color you can put on that. Says Matthew James, the first Black Bachelor. I started watching this season because everyone was like, there's a black bachelor. I checked in with some Northwestern members of Bachelor Nation to see how are they liking this season so far? And do they think the show can actually bring about true love? This is Medill sophomore Casey Haslett's first time watching the Bachelor series. You know, girl friendship is really important. It's really real. And I think that like, on the show, they just try to go to the extreme with the like, girls are so emotional and catty and drama. And like, that is not always real. For those who don't watch, how does The Bachelor work? Well, 30 women arrive in their evening gowns to a cocktail party to meet their bachelor. Throughout each week, the bachelor has a one-on-one -on -one date with someone he chooses. There's group dates, which usually start as a ludicrous competition. There are dates at home with the families. Contestants usually get to travel the world. And at the end, the guy's got to pop the question. Did I mention that this all happens in eight weeks? Like, do you find it romantic? <laughs> no, but like, yes, in terms of the fact that I am a hopeless romantic, I always have been. And I imagine if it had been me, like if I was the bachelorette and I got to walk around in pretty dresses and wear tiaras and have people fawning over me, then maybe it would be romantic. Alexis Gomez is a Weinberg senior. He started watching the show with his mother toward the end of high school. From then, I've just been watching every season, honestly, in anticipation of Bachelor in Paradise. But why have 30 women fighting over one guy or 30 men fighting over one girl when you could have over 30 contestants, half male, half female, all trying to find love with each other at once on an island in the summer where the temperature is up and so is the sexual tension? I think that you could actually build a more natural connection with people. You have all day spending time with each other. There's no weird, like, you don't see them for a week because you're all living in the same place. Yeah, I guess in some naive way, I'm more hopeful for the couples on Bachelor in Paradise. I don't know. Weinberg Jr. Georgia Schaefer agrees. Yeah, it's just, it's better than watching, like, a million people fight over one person because um, so many people end up unhappy, whereas there's, like, a chance for more people to, like, end up happy, I guess. But the girls all just seem so destroyed by the end of it. But I feel like they do get, like, good friendships out of it. So maybe if I ever went on, I would just, like, make friends, and that's it, not even worry about, like, the guy or whatever. What's the aspect of these shows, either The Bachelor or Love Island, that makes you want to keep returning to it? I sound horrible, but I'm such a consumer. Like, it's the drama, you know, it's fun to watch. It's the drama, yeah. yeah I, I, I hate to say it. They may have changed up some of the interracial dynamics, but the reason why its fans keep coming back are largely the same. That's Camille Williams reporting for WNUR News' special Valentine's Day broadcast. Thanks for listening. I started watching The Bachelor for the first time this year, and, uh, lord, it is a ride. <laughs> Trust me, I saw one episode and that was enough. Th that was definitely enough. <laughs> well, folks, that is all for this WNUR News special broadcast following Valentine's Day in a pandemic. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News 
Instagram, and best of all, on Spotify. On behalf of our producer and reporter, Alex Harrison, reporters Thomas Smith, Olivia Lloyd, Margot Milanowski, Angelina Campanile, Melissa Perry, Maria Camaño, Jenna Peel, Helen Bradshaw, and Camille Williams. I'm Maria Jimena Aragon. And I'm Angelina Campanile. You've been listening to WNUR News on WNUR FM HD1 at Instant Chicago. Thanks for tuning in and see you back here next week.